0: Hey, hey, welcome to the Studio Podcast. Once again, it's a show for ambitious creatives who want to learn more about creative thinking and strategic design. I'm your host, Ilya Lobanov, a founder of Studio, a brand agency focused on growing and elevating brands and businesses. And if you've been tuning into the podcast and or following me on the social media, You'll know that my other passion is sharing the tips and mindsets and tools and resources that I've picked up over the years working in the branding and design industry with you guys, hopefully, to help you level up and improve your own processes. And as part of this podcast, I typically invite other uh, prominent creative leaders who also share their their own wisdom and their own experiences. In this particular episode, uh, it will be a slightly different format. I will not have a guest on today, but I do want to wrap up this season with the last episode. This is season three and episode number 10. So I will be taking a short break, potentially a longer break, actually. Usually there is a two-week break that I take between seasons, but in this instance, I might take a few months off because I want to review the creative and strategic direction for the podcast and review the format. And I'd love for you to to be involved in. uh, I want to hear your voice and your opinion as to what you think the format of the podcast should be. So, I invite you to join me as a Studio Insider, which is my email list. That's where I most likely will be running some kind of a survey or questionnaire in relation to the format and the type of content for the podcast going forward because uh, I'd, I'd love for it to be as actionable for you as possible. So, you are still welcome to of course uh, leave a voice note i will leave a link to that in the description of the of the episode you can leave your voice note with your feedback but uh, some people uh, appreciate the correspondence over email and they find it a lot more e- easier so to to join the studio insider you just have to visit the following url which is go go.studio s-t-u-d-e-o dot com dot au forward slash join j-o-i-n so that will take you to the subscription of my email list which is called studio insider and there you will be notified essentially if whenever there's any new updates regarding the podcast any new episode uh, coming out or also uh, also will be surveying uh, and getting feedback from you so in today's episode, I want to do kind of like a snippet and introduction to some of the earlier guests uh, of the podcast. So if you are new to this podcast, this will be a good opportunity for you to get introduced to those uh, earlier guests and, and get uh, even more uh, wisdom of, nuggets of wisdom from them. And I hope you do enjoy this episode.
1: Personally, I don't i mean i don't think creative block is what people think creative block is. i mean for me i think it's possibly down more down to a bad routine um i think i think people confuse few not might blame bad you know um uh would you could blame creative block on possibly just being tired mm. or run down or something else so i mean i, I mean i've got a pretty bang on set routine you know i wake up the same time every single day i walk my dog the same time every single day i go to get into the office the same time every single day i'll finish at roughly the same time every single day so basically my brain knows what it needs to do during every part of the day and i never shift from that monday to friday generally even like saturday and sunday i kind of wake up roughly the same time, unless I'm hungover. Um, but yeah, on on the whole, it's kind of... I actually I've speak to loads of creators about this, like how do you get through creative block? And I do fully believe it's down to process and routine. I think if you nail your routine and you stick to a good possible, good routine, you know, going to bed at a good time, getting good sleep, um, you know, I think it's... I mean, obviously everybody's different, but for me, that's how I um keep my mind ticking as i said it knows it it has its off it has its off time and it has its on time um and when Mm -hmm. it's on it's on and when it's off it's off there's no mixed ground like i don't i don't do crazy all-nighters you know i don't see the point in that you know i'll i'll say i'll wake up at like six seven ish um and then i'll get into barbie and work at 8 a.m and then i'll finish at six do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. apart from tonight but that's different because we're just chatting um so you know I mean I I truly believe that if you nail your routine and you have your processes down you'll never get creative block again I don't truly Mm. believe I mean sometimes there are certain projects that
0: um wind you You up you get stuck on something
1: yeah sometimes sometimes that does happen but again I if I'm you know I mean you probably I mean I I do unlimited revisions within my logo design it never Mm. It never really goes. I mean, every one in 50 go past three. You know, they're usually done within three rounds, sometimes mm. first time, which is great. Um, but for me, I mean, if it's if I do have that kind of, you know, sometimes where you, I can understand where the frustration sometimes comes in, where you give you put your heart and soul into a creative direction. The client's like, oh, I'm not too sure about it. And you are like, right, go again. Oh, I'm not too sure about it. Right, I'll go again. Oh, I'm not too sure about it. But, you know, again, I think that also comes down to process, you know. So mm. I have obviously my process of, like, breaking down the brief, word mapping, prototyping, or rapid prototyping, and going through the stages of creating, you know, putting my full ass into one idea rather than half asking a load of ideas. Um, and if that if that idea isn't right, for whatever reason, I just go back to the word mapping have a little look again see if there's anything I've missed and then you're never actually starting again you're almost just kind of pivoting the brain a little bit and adjusting and Mm. tweaking and obviously you know I always ask for like really detailed feedback you know what is it focus on what it is you like focus on what it is you don't like so when I go through my process again I'm showing you the stuff you like and I'm not going to show you the stuff you don't like so you're always moving forward within the process. And I think that's yeah, as I said, like my my process is very odd. A lot of logo designers um think I'm crazy and weird, but it, it works for me just because I it allows me to create the stuff that I create. Maybe maybe the reason I don't have creative block is I'm not trying to create twenty five different iterations and send them to a client. And obviously, you know, I'm I'm hitting out logos you know, start to finish, six to eight hours, possibly, um, on average, mm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that allows me to, I mean, you know me as well, I'm not big into, like, the big, deeper brand development, like, your, you know, your mm. Melinda Libsies, or your Jacob Cassies, and all these kind of people, you know, I don't, that, I don't think my brain would like that, being, in being involved in a project for, like, three or four months, I think I'd probably get to, like, week three, and go, eh, you know, it's not, <laughs> God, I kind of want to do. Are you like again. a
0: love it and leave it kind of? Um, is is that the phrase? A
1: love I'm it sure
0: or that. leave it. Is that how it goes? It's something like that. It's um like is is it just the fact that you like uh kind of variety and therefore you like like I like variety in tasks so I, yeah. I tend to uh, like sometimes doing a logo design and then jumping onto like a web design and then yeah. jumping onto a naming. I like the variety yeah. in that. Um, yeah. But what it sounds to me like maybe you like the variety of just working for a different type of client, a different industry. And, I
1: mean, that's, and, a, I mean that's, that's exactly what it is. I mean, variety is the spice of life, is I think that's what we call it over here.
2: Price is your competitive <clears throat> advantage. Your cost to do business in a, in a poorer country is less than the cost to do business in a richer country. So you have to play to your competitive advantage if if they're gonna choose somebody um in the United States, their competitive advantage in the united states a take san francisco market okay. for example san francisco tech tech heavy market silicon valley this the heart of the tech world is the bay area in San francisco area and the surrounding hundred miles that's the heart of it and if somebody is Local to that, it's so expensive to live there. It's so expensive to do business there. Their competitive advantage is not price. They have to charge more or they don't have a business. What is their competitive advantage? It's location is a competitive advantage for them. And it's um, understanding of the client, that they're in the heart of Silicon Valley as well, they by by nature, have a better understanding of the client, the culture, the business culture, the customer base, all of those things because they 're right there in the heart of it, but price is not their competitive advantage so if you take the if you take the case of being somewhere where the cost to do business is cheaper you you're playing at a disadvantage in location and a disadvantage in understanding the client's business culture but you have an advantage in the price you can charge where you can charge less still run a successful business charging less than what the competition does and some clients will choose you as a result of that but you got to play to your strengths in any sales cycle like this
0: i guess though if, if you're in one of those countries let's say and uh your aim is actually to uh, increase your prices to what, say, an- another person from Russia or Ukraine or, or wherever sure. uh, is charging. So you, you're kind of trying to almost, you're trying to be a little bit cheeky, and you're trying to, you know, uh, make your prices almost at the same level as what you know someone from Australia or US would sure. be charging. Um, I guess you're already battling right from from a, a, a you know position of disadvantage, like exactly. said, your location is um, not right. You don't quite understand the market. Um, so you, so you kind of, yeah, like, like you said, you need to play to your strengths and play to your um... strengths.
2: And now you can, cause at the top of the pyramid on at the top of the hierarchy is reputation and a designer can build a reputation from anywhere in the world right now. This is, we're in an open global market. Social media is a global, uh, for the most part, most countries in the world have access to the, social, the same social media platforms where they can market and promote their work. And you can build a reputation from anywhere. And once you get to that hierarchy, that top top of the pyramid of selling based on your reputation, prices go up no matter where you are uh, because you're selling from that perspective, from that pos- sales position. Yeah,
0: uh, but, you it, but, it, <laughs> but you have to get to that first. But you have to get there first.
2: You
0: have yeah, have to get there first. Yep. Um All right. So Iman uh, has got a question here. Can we propose different price for different customers for the unique services? I think he means. Um, that's I think re- referencing the proposal. So, um, well, I I, I mean, yes. you, you can. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a unique. Like, I don't know, you can have fixed pricing, like packages or something, but
2: yeah. every project is
0: quite unique. So I don't know that you, you can, can still like package it, though. Um,
2: so you can still <laughs> package it. So it's in sales, it's called price bracketing. And price bracketing is the <laughs> idea of um, presenting multiple different packages to the client so that they choose what they want most. And I use this when a client couldn't really define their budget so I wasn't quite sure where I was bidding. So sometimes I would present them three different options. I would say, okay, here we have a low end option that is just one of the three services that you want, and it's this price, and now we have option number two, which is two of the services that you want, and it's this price, and we have option number three, and it's all three services, and it's this price. And when you do that, you kind of insulate yourself from being cast aside too early in the sales process where the client can look at it and say, okay, well, I really want all three services, but I really wanna work with Ilya. And if I wanna work with Ilya and my budget only gets one of the services, I still wanna choose him and I'll just do the other two later. So you kind of insulate yourself from over budgeting the, the job when you price bracket and send three, usually the the most common price bracket is three, a choice of three. Um, So that's a way to do that, to propose different prices for a different set of services. Now, this other question that could mean what this means from Iman here is, it is okay to charge one client one amount and another client (laughs) another amount for the exact same services because you have, to, you have to free yourself up to price the client, to not say, okay, I'm just pricing my services, I'm pricing the client. A logo design, logo's a great example, logo design for Nike is going to cost a lot more because the exposure of that logo goes to a much broader range of people than the logo design to Joe's Pizza on your street in your town of 150 people. You can't charge the same for logo design to Joe's Pizza in your town as you can to Nike and a global brand. So you have to uh, take each client's unique situation into account and price your projects based on the client's needs.
3: I think a lot of designers, brand designers, they, you know, they're carrying a hammer because that's, you know, that's our job. That's our skill set. And so all they see is nails. I mean, when a client comes to them, like usually it's it's not always even the client that tells you like, I want to rebrand. Usually it's the designer or, or the branding agency that's going to, yeah, you, you need a rebrand, man. We can't do this. We can't really change this one thing. We need to change everything, which is like, makes sense from a from a visual identity standpoint. I mean, you, you can say everything needs to be consistent. And so we need to do the whole thing and there's there's truth in that i mean uh i think consistency is key but the problem is that at a certain point we just do rebrands for the sake of doing rebrands because we're we're used to doing that and we forget that there's actually a lot of risk involved and so i think there's there's a couple of like false assumptions on why to do rebrands one of them is we need to change the perception we have for example i mean the brand image that's a typical thing where a client comes to you and say, yeah, our brand image isn't what we want it to be, so we really need to change that. And so the question really is like, first off, can you change your brand image, your reputation by rebranding? There's a lot of danger involved. I mean, if I if I would come back to you, uh, like next week, uh, Ilya, you see a, a scandal, Steph Hamling, I don't know, is selling drugs through his uh, online channel. And then the weeks, the week after that, you see me changing my logo, wearing a different hat, it might signal that you're trying to hide something or that you're trying to like forget what happened. Like, I mean uh, if, if Volkswagen would have rebranded right after their diesel uh, crisis thing where they like, you know, they, they messed mm-hmm. with the, the values for the diesel. If they would have rebranded right after that, people would have been angry because that's not the right thing to do at that point. so when it comes to really changing the brand image because of a certain like wrong perception of scandal, that's, I think that's a really bad reason to do that because it's really like it signals the wrong thing and maybe it's not even the best solution because there are a lot of companies such as like big brands like Volkswagen or or Pepsi that had like scandals in the past but they kept their branding as is but they did change things they they changed their messaging maybe they did some like some actual things maybe they had some PR maybe they did some things as a business to change that. I think that's a better approach. Like not not looking at a bad reputation from a bad branding standpoint, but looking at it from like a business. What what can, what can we do? I think that's a better way to do it. And that really links to brand purpose as well, where I think often like brand purpose is this little invented thing that that looks nice and it communicates nicely, but really it should be on the business side and the branding should maybe elaborate on it, but it shouldn't be coming from, from branding per se. And so I think that's one of the false assumptions to rebrand. Another one is we want to attract more customers. You already alluded to that, like, we need more customers, so let's do a rebrand. That's actually almost impossible. Like I've done a lot of rebrands where where we actually see a small drop in customers because there's a problem with recognition at first. When you roll out a new brand, people don't really recognize it anymore. And people are really lazy. I mean, they don't have the time to analyze the packaging and say, oh, this is the brand I used to buy before, especially when you change the name and the colors and everything. Mm-hmm. So, so a radical rebrand might, lo- might get you to lose a lot of customers. I mean, there's this typical example. I don't know if you've seen that Tropicana rebrand.
0: Uh, I haven't seen it personally, but I have spoken to a few designers who have mentioned it. and I, yeah. I had seen it afterwards. But yeah.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, if we need to talk about risks of rebrand, I, this is one of the perfect cases and it's well known. So, uh, Tropicana wanted to do a rebrand. Um, they had like the, I don't know if you can see Tropicana, it's like they have this straw with like a red line that swirls up and it's in an orange. It looks, yeah, it's, it, it was really recognizable it, it's been around for a long time but they wanted something a bit more modern again you can see they wanted to change the image of the brand they wanted mm-hmm. more modern more more high end because they wanted to talk to new customers maybe a different segment and so they 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 tested for that i mean this wasn't a rebrand that that somebody did very sloppy without checking everything they actually had focus groups everything they invested millions in doing this rebrand what happened is like after they, they rolled out the brand in the in the stores, they had an immediate drop in sales of about, I think, 20 percent, which amounts to millions and millions of dollars, of course, in, in this case. And so what they did wrong there is, is they didn't really assess their current branding and like how people perceive that and how well known these, these, these assets are on their packaging, their, their logo, some other elements. And so they they did like the wrong thing they they went on an assumption that they needed to change the image without keeping in account the importance of the the recognizability of the packaging and so they lost a lot of money so that's a typical example i think where we really need to be careful because you might lose your client a lot of money besides the money of course that you cost them to to do this rebrand which is one thing but that can be a lot of value but we can never forget that, I mean, a product is out there and people grab it very easily or a service even. And so we need to keep that in account. Um, another thing I think what, what happens a lot is, again, this idea of if we're going to do a rebrand right now, we're going like, to get a lot of hype and people are going to start picking us up. But the problem is they don't put the same amount of money or, or budget in advertising and marketing to actually roll out that brand, to get it out there, to get it seen, to, to, to get it to new people. And that's a real problem. I think a lot of, I've had a lot of clients that come to me and say, we're going to do this rebrand. We have, let's say 30,000, whatever euros, and that's our budget we're going to spend. And then I ask them like, how much, uh, how much budget do you have after that for, for making sure this rebrand gets rolled out and, and, that gets the proper advertising to say, no, no, this is all the money I want invested in branding, because I believe in branding. Like, that's a big problem, because it's not or branding or marketing, it's branding and marketing. And so when you're doing a rebrand, you really, I actually like tell them, we're not gonna do the project unless you have at least the same amount of money you're investing in us to put in in advertising. And that's a bit of a harsh way to look at it. But it, it forces them to think about this. And it also helps you because then your branding or your rebranding is going to be probably successful because otherwise it's just going to be, they're going to be disappointed in you because you did this beautiful thing and they thought people would just flock to them, which really doesn't happen that often. And so that's a big problem, I think. Uh, one more, then going to um, give give you the chance to, uh, if you have some questions, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm rowling through this. I just made some notes this morning, uh, so another one is the typical one when when a company repositions themselves, often that even happens with the branding agencies themselves like they 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 reposition themselves and now they think, well we need a new logo right I mean we have a new positioning, so we need a new logo or we need a new visual identity branding, but really, the problem is that especially with logos like a logo really is just an identification of, of that company. Like it's an easy recognizable asset where you can, you look at that and think, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, those golden arches, that's McDonald's. And then you think burgers and fast food and stuff. But in, that logo doesn't carry all the meaning or the even like that logo shouldn't show what the positioning of that company is about. It doesn't work that way. And too often like designers want to put All the meaning and all this stuff like the brand strategy in a a logo or even in a graphic identity well I think that is more about just making sure that you are distinctive easy recognizable that you are different from the competition you can be picked up very easily of course it has a certain personality that's all important but it doesn't have to like show that new positioning. I think positioning is more of a like a long-term effort where you keep bringing that message over and over, and you, you bring your products in a fresh way so that people, after a certain period of time, understand what your company is about. And so, again, a wrong assumption here to do rebrand based on repositioning.
4: Uh, I don't want to degrade that kind of work because I, I made uh... Uh, a, a considerable amount of money <laughs> doing that. And uh, mm-hmm. that was able, uh, I was able to you know, pay the bills doing that. What does it mean when I say, with all the love possible, you know, it's not the denigratory the when I say that you, you need to know when you are acting as a designer and when you're acting as a decorator. Um, and when you're acting as a decorator, fundamentally, you are just providing solutions that are based on, you know, on your book, and on your, or you, you're asking your client, uh, very uh, incremental questions, so it's like, Oh, what color do you want? What brand? You, what type do you want, etc. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then you just produce a, an outcome. No, so you're fixed on the outcome goal and, and, and is, you possess what I say, a fixed mindset. So you focus only on the outcome, which which is our natural mode of thinking. No? Is we, we think by analogy, meaning that we do what other people has done before. This is how we learn. But that's not a creative thinking approach. And nowadays, <laughs> nowadays, Uh, where the situation is, it's extremely uh, challenging for everyone, for, for corporations, for businesses, for even for people that have a stable job in a a large corporation. uh, The mindset needs to shift. So you can't be just a designer, Uh, you need to become a business designer. And this is the sophistication. W- what does it mean to to become a business designer from somebody that practice design? Um, it's what I told you before. You need to be able to translate human needs into business goals. So every good corporation or every every business doesn't matter what you are doing. If you are a baker, or if you are a Fortune 500, at the end of the day, you do one single thing, which is creating value for a specific target. Okay, so if you are a baker, and in the stream of of being a baker, you have the baker that is uh, producing massive amount of packaged bread and uh, you know wonder bread, or you have the very uh, tiny cafe, pastry specialized that makes wonderful composition and the best croissant that you can have. I use food a lot in my analogies. Of course, you're <laughs> We, we can only expect this. Uh, so, <clears throat> so what what does it mean to to become a true designer? A true designer means that you are navigating this uncertainty, you are navigating a certain you—you you are embracing this creative process to then come up with an unknown solution, and this is something. First of all, the, the, first of all, is something that uh, companies are very uncomfortable with, because it happened to me hundreds of times when I—I I, I go into a meeting. And everybody goes like, okay, so we want to do this amazing thing. We want to do this innovative and, and groundbreaking idea, and uh, for sure we you know we need to overtake our competition. So we need to do something that has never seen before. And um, uh, and I was uh, very excited and was like, wow, fantastic! We're, and then the next sentence is, do you have any example of that? You know, so can you so show just me? This one, the cookie cutter yeah. like, kind of solution. <laughs> Yeah, no, off the shelf, shelf because then and then that happens. And I was like, how can I provide you something that nobody's ever seen? And you're asking me (laughs) to 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 show you an example why they want to see an example, because they feel more comfortable. And and, and let me tell you, nowadays, I have a lot of I've been working with a lot of young designers, students in in very in many different stages of, of their career. Uh, and honestly speaking, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if you have a huge massive portfolio, or if you are a, you know, first year uh, designer, the approach of an unknown client, this is very important, unknown client means somebody that picks up the phone or, or sees your website or encounters your work on Instagram or any other source and, and decides that he wants to do something with you. Uh, doesn't change. The the approach is the same. Because even if you have a huge portfolio, and you can prove that you have been working for this company and that company, etc, they will still ask you the same question. Oh, what can you do for me? How can you do it? Uh, Yes, you work with these big companies, but we are different, right? Or the classic example for designers when you have, and this is an example that, that we can have, um, you know, uh, if you're doing a website and everybody comes and says, oh, uh, I want to have a website like Nike. I want to have a website like Apple. Or I want to look like Apple. And I ask them, the first question that I ask him is how much of your marketing budget you are dedicating to this activity in design and marketing in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, the previous question that I ask is how much is your revenue stream? Uh, And they say, I don't know, 1 million. And uh, and then I ask, okay, how much of that percentage you're dedicating to marketing and design? And usually it's 0.1, 0.2, 0.5. And and I ask, you know, if you want to be like Apple, you need to invest 4%, 5% of your (laughs) revenue into your marketing budget. And they, they are shocked. And I said, well, you want to be like Apple, act like Apple. So you can't be something, uh, so you can't be a great athlete and and, and be, you know, Klitschko <laughs> in honor of your-
0: I know, uh, yeah, it's, he's <laughs> Ukrainian, but
4: that's okay. <laughs> uh, a great boxer and, and, you know, eat junk food and not train, this is not mm. gonna happen.
5: I I really don't uh, um, like the 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 division in the market between is it branding or is it it marketing is it design or or is it strategy no you know every industry has it's like it's not competitors but we are more important we do the heavy work etc and this is actually what we are going to talk about in this uh, live me and you is strategy versus design but what we should be talking about is how the, these all work together, not against each other. So my, I, I see that marketing is part of branding or they complement each other. This this, do, uh, uh, the branding people do do what they do and the marketing people do they, what they do, but they are connected together in building a certain brand. They They both work for the same team, the brand that they are working for. Um, this applies as well for strategy versus design, but let's talk about it from the the point of view of the the practicing designer, the the regular designer, the real designer, the one like like me and you, mm-hmm. and I think uh, all almost everyone in the chat that I know that I know their names. They are, they are just want to design good logos, and there there is um, a big buzz about brand strategy. It has been going for, like, maybe two years now, I think, maybe more. Um, People are talking about uh, 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 migrating. They they, they use the word evolving into being a strategist. Um, It's a word that I do not agree with because, as I said, it's not either or. It's not I am a designer or a brand strategist. It's not that being a brand strategist is better than being a designer. It's a it's a personal choice, so I have the capability to be a brand strategist, but I do not like uh, the the being a brand strategist or the the, the thinking process of mm. just being a thinker and just being with my client and just doing workshops and this, it's really important, but it's not my thing, and so many people like are, are like me, they just want to produce good logos logos that are effective and functional that, that, that helps the, the client. But what I'm here uh, to say is that um, you can be a designer and a strategist, or you can uh, migrate into being a full uh, a brand strategist with, without doing the design. Brand strategists think of design as a side deliverable, or and one of the deliverables that they they um, offer the client at the end of the brand strategy uh, workshop uh, alongside an action plan but from um, a designer point of view like us freelancers and independent designers um, there's another tier a new tier like i want to produce good logos but i want them to come from a strategic Uh, a thinking process so so there's a gap it's like like either be a designer or either be a strategist why not be both it's not either or why not make the the independent designer think strategically to come up with the visuals that the brand uh, uh, needs was the
6: breakthrough? I had so many during that time because that was the time that I was being coached by Christo, and I think I one of the biggest ones was switching the lens from me being focused on me, as in I need I need to be the best designer. I need to present and perform, and it was very me-driven. It was not thinking about the client and what they need and what would be valuable to them and what would connect with their customer it was very me focused. It was very egocentric. And, um, I think the biggest transition that I made in that time of switching to brand strategy, it was all mixed up in there. Cause I was, I was learning how to sell and market and all that, um, uh, was switching the lens to the other person, to the client. And and it might sound obvious to a lot of people, but, and I could have said that years ago, like, yeah, I'm, concentrating on the client. And I was not. I was worried about myself. I was worried about proving myself. I was worried about them picking the design that I thought they should go with. And and it was just so me focused. And so I think the biggest breakthrough that I had was learning, and I'm still learning, how to be empathetic to my clients, to ask them questions, to find out what would be valuable to them, not imposing what I think is valuable onto them. Like, well, they should have picked this design or they should do this. No, I'm just there to find out what client, what do you want? What is valuable to you? And if, if you, I'd say that is like one of the biggest things um, to do is work on how to listen, being empathetic. I, and that's why I, I, for a time, I was recommending the book uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss because it was so eye opening to me how practical it was. He was teaching practical empathy. And I thought, oh, I can practice this stuff. Like I can learn how to be more empathetic and listen to people and make a connection with them versus just trying to impose my thoughts and my advice and everything onto people. And so I rose recommending that book. That was I was reading it around that time as well. Um, so I highly recommend that, but just learning how to be empathetic learning how to switch that lens from me to my client or to other people in general
0: hmm. yeah i think that's thing. the biggest mindset difference isn't it because between the um i guess where both you and i were at the beginning and and pretty much any other designer who's just in that same boat where they go in with this design and it's you know it's this whole mindset of Uh, This is an amazing work that I've done, so the client should be almost grateful for for me creating this. And and whenever there's any negative feedback about the design, where all every designer kind of gets taken back, right? They go like, "Holy shit, what do you mean you don't like it? You know, you're hurting my feelings over here." You know, that's the kind of reaction that most design. They might not say that, but that's that's what they're experiencing inside. They're kind of going, "Why are you saying this? This is I put my heart and soul into this design, but that's because you've put in." your assumptions and your design thinking and, and like your kind of uh, attitudes into this design without even inquiring what's going to work for your client or for, or, or even better for, for your customers, um, for your client's customers, you know, for the end user who's going to be seeing this logo or this, this design or this brand identity. At the end of the day, that's what we're creating for. I mean, even our customer is not the person who's going to be uh, the ultimate judge, if you like, of this, brand identity, they have to validate, do they think this brand identity or this logo actually going to solve uh, and communicate the right messages to their end user? You know, that's who are really creating this all, all of this for.
6: You're adding in your own assumptions. And I think that's what happens when we get little information at the front end, we go into our caves for a very long amount of time. Some designers, I'm including myself, I used to do this, Go into our caves for a very 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 long time and we keep mulling over ideas and, and work on ideas and then we fall in love with the idea and then we add our assumptions to the idea and we've spent so much time alone with this design not checking in with the client not asking the client questions not getting buy-in from them we have fallen in love separately with the design by ourselves and then we come to the client thinking that they have the same relationship with the design that we do when we have spent all this alone time tinkering and falling in love with it. And then we think, well, client, how could you not love this too? And the client's like, well, this is the first time we've met. It's like introducing them to a person to be like, Hey, you're gonna fall in love with them dude. It's like, I literally, it's a stranger to me. It's a stranger to clients. When you have spent so much time with it, you bring it over and think that they should have the same emotional reaction to it as you do. It, it's of course not. So, and when you, when you, have check-ins with clients and you don't spend as much time alone falling in love with your design, then you're more detached. And then they, you both can equally fall in love with the thing that actually will be valuable to everyone, to the client, to their customer. So then it it helps you be more detached the more that you can talk with a client and get their feedback. But it just clicked when you had said that we we go off and then add our own assumptions to it uh, is that's really what we're doing.
7: The client side, there's a lot about uh, am I am I spending the money where I should? Uh, that's that's a big one. Um, will this project still be mine, or will this designer will take that project and make them ours? So that's why the sharing part is also very important. Um, of course, on their side, is also this all this idea of. Um, they don't wanna be surprised. Uh, surprise is what they hate the most. Uh, if, if we set up a contract and then you say after two months, oh, but this was not in a contract, we should add this and add that. So that's why at base we take a long time discussing be, be, before set, setting up a contract. We need to, mm-hmm. to be sure that we're uh, th- that, because the contract, if this, if something goes bad or if there's some difficulties, the clients and you will always go back to the deal to the initial deal so it's extremely important that this so it's, a, it's an important advice It just really take time to to outline that the best way uh possible um another thing that we do is actually when you you, you give them a budget for example um don't uh, of course it can be like a big budget with the several faces but what i do all, always is that you know what you just this, this for example four phases for a big branding project but i'm always saying you uh, commit to the first phase if if you don't feel at ease leave us mm-hmm. after first phase if we, if we do first a uh, phase two if you don't feel at ease you can always leave us leave us at any time because you need to know that you still be at ease i don't want to to tie them in, in contract where they're like, oh, I don't feel well, but I want to get away from this. And no, I don't want to do that. I want them mm-hmm. to always feel that I am, and we are an added value. If they feel that, they will go all faces, no problem. So it's nice to tell them you're free to decide to not continue if you don't feel at ease with us. So that's also, uh, it's, a, it's, it's also something that, that helps the client to be at ease also. Regarding fears on, on our sides, um yeah, um I think um there's always this um dream places for designer. For example, a lot of designers, oh, I want to work in culture, I wanna do posters for museums, I want you know, you this this these kind of icons, things that they want to achieve. And mm. sometimes it's not possible. <laughs> sometimes it's just not there. So so um yeah, there's this this fear or or of being annoyed or being not listened. So uh, a designer that is not listened by by his uh, clients or, or or by me, even uh, this is super important. So listening is extremely important. So um, I think um, another fear for many designers in 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 the business also is to be left alone, uh, and sometimes it happens, you know. There's so many things happening in the studio. And then you see a designer that goes like, uh, 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 because he's alone on a job for too long and he's run out of energy, run out of fresh air, run out of teammates <laughs> to exchange. And that's why at Biz, we always have more than one people on a project. It's always a team. It's always, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes that's the crazy thing is that sometimes instead of putting two people, you just say, okay, you know what? We, we're gonna take six people. And we put them these six people for three days in that room and then everything happens so quickly. But you have to put different personalities, different skills together and, and that's, that is magic. It, it's this with me, I'm like, when I see the room and when I see my team, for example, on a project and, uh, and sometimes I'm like, okay, the presentation is in three days. How are you? And then I see them like, we don't know. We don't have it yet. Relax. But are you confident? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have it. Okay, are you sure in three days? Yeah, sure. No problem. And I can leave the room. I'm confident because they're confident. They don't have anything yet. It's still in the whole process. They don't have found out the solution. But they're good. And I trust them. So trust make them good. And, and three days later, I have a great presentation. I have no no problems anymore with that, which is... Which is also, um, I think, leading to the last point. Uh, designer, they need trust all the time. No matter what, they need they need to feel trust. So it's, um, if the client cannot give it, you have to give it to your team. You have to give it that to, to the people you
0: work with. So what would the advice then would you give then maybe a solo freelancers, you know, who are on their own, who are working with the client and, um, then they are on their own and, and then where do they get that trust? How do they try to, to get that trust? You know, what, what steps maybe can they make to to try and gather that for, for themselves? Um,
7: my main advice is that, my, my main comment, first of all, would be, I don't understand you. Why do you want to work alone? That's my, my initial response. Uh, because I was never able to work alone. I'm, 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 I'm lousy when I'm working alone when I'm alone in a room I'm like I'm not doing anything I'm not I'm not teased I think for me design is ping-pong I need I need at least another person on the other side of the table I need people to confront my idea I need people to criticize what I'm doing or what we are doing I think that's the beauty of a studio like this is that whenever you do something we do reviews all the times, and sometimes we do review we, with people that not even in the project that are from another. That okay, come come over for half an hour. What do you see? What do you understand? Hmm. I don't understand it, guys. It's what what is that? So if someone that is not in the project doesn't understand what you're doing, you already have a problem. So then when you, so to so for people that are working alone, my 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 advice would be. Don't <laughs> don't work alone. But that's my main advice. At least put yourself. Maybe you can have your own clan. But put yourself in a co-working space or share space with others. I mean, so much fun. It's 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 the best part. Uh, actually, I have I have to say I don't really understand people that are working alone. But that's me. Um, maybe they would tell me, no, oh, it's great because I can do whatever I want. And it's nice too. But I I, I don't. Uh, it's not for me.
0: Hey, so great to see that you've made it till the end of the episode and thank you so much for listening to the studio podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as it would really mean the world to me to hear your feedback. Now remember, the world needs your creativity and you have the power to ignite it. I'll catch you on the next episode.